your ambition. What is it? I'll tell you something I try to remind myself of every day, or perhaps a question I put to myself, and it is this. What have I done today that makes my life a credit to Jesus Christ? And what have I done today that makes my life a serious threat to the devil and to his kingdom? I think that those are good questions to face. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. It is our daily ambition to so live that when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we may appear with his approval. Well, when we get to heaven, that's going to happen. Every person who is here today who is a Christian. And by the way, the judgment seat of Christ is only for Christians. If you're not saved, you won't even be there. If you're not saved, you'll appear before that great white throne one day, and that is a very different thing. The judgment seat of Christ, there the question will not be salvation. So let me say this. The moment that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the moment that you realize that he died for your sins on the cross, the moment you sincerely and truly receive him as personal Savior, you are instantly and eternally saved. You are born again by the power of God. The question of salvation is not settled in eternity. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But the question before the judgment seat of Christ has to do with rewards. Does God have rewards for you and me? Oh, yes, he does. Christ told the story of people who had various talents. And if they invested those talents well, they had the chance to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Are you prepared to stand before the throne of Christ and have him ask, what did you do with time and treasure and talent that could have been used for Christ? What did you do with the ideas and the human strength and the enthusiasm that I poured into your life? What did you do with the privilege of knowing the Lord and being powered from heaven? What did you do with the one life that I allowed you to live in this world? Some are going to stand before him, and the scripture says they're going to bring to him gold and silver and precious stones retrieved from their labors in this world. Well done, they will hear Christ say. Others will have wood and hay and stubble and zip. Just like that, those things will disappear. Ah, the judgment seat of Christ. What a classic time that will be. Incidentally, this is described in one other place in the Word of God, and that is the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is also discussing this whole thing, and he says, Now if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. The day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall test every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built upon it, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. The judgment seat of Christ is an awesome thing. I'm always touched when someone during a meeting sings, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus who died 
upon the cruel tree. I think of his great sacrifice to save me. Surely he expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I given my best to Jesus when he has given so much for me? A very serious consideration. I would guess that there are Christians who might be pompous and famous and presumptuous in this world who will be nothing when we stand before the throne of Christ. I also anticipate that there are those whose names we do not know, who have labored for Christ in obscurity, who will be exalted before his throne at that hour. I was in Paraguay in South America a little more than a month ago. I had the chance to speak for a whole week to missionaries who had come in from the end of the trail, from the remotest jungles, where they are ministering to people who have not word one of the Bible or word one of anything else in their language. Their names may not be known across the world, but I want to tell you, those are people, the latchets of whose shoes I wish that I were worthy to unloose. Whatever may be somebody's boast in this world, or the presumptions that gather about him, the judgment seat of Christ will reveal it all. Plan in that day and anticipate that God will reward you for the life that you have lived for Christ. They that win many to righteousness will shine as the brightness of the stars forever and ever. The judgment seat of Christ, when making moral decisions, which are the only kind that really matter, remember the question, the judgment seat of Christ. How will I give an answer for this when I stand one day before the Lord Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ. Well, what comes next after that awesome occasion? Well, what comes next could almost be, almost be expected, but it's really going to be some terrific occasion. It is a gathering called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. God's going to throw a party for you. Do you think he's going to allow you to sneak into heaven and that's it? No, sir, you're somebody special to him. You see, at that time we will discover that the church, and we all know that the church is the body of Christ, then we will discover what it means for the church to be the bride of Christ. And as his bride, we will arrive at heaven and the Lord will want to present us before the Father. He's going to do it, not on some secret occasion, but he is going to throw a party to end all parties, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Tell me, have you been to a great party in this world, like that New Year's Eve party that didn't finish until Valentine's Day? <laughs> what a party. Like that Polish wedding where they pinned $5 bills on the bride's ground for a gown for a whole week? Boy, what a party. You, <laughs> you and I can remember some parties we had been to in days gone by. That would make an interesting story. Let's have a testimony meeting before the day is done. Parties I have been to that I will never forget. Well, anyway, all of those parties, they will be zero compared to that party. The greatest party you've ever been to in this world will be like a casserole potato supper in the basement of the Legion Hall by comparison to the marriage supper 
of the lamp. There won't be stained crepe paper hanging from the wall down in front of your nose and the rest of it. I've spoken at many a party like that, but uh, it's going to be a lot better than that. The marriage supper of the lamb, what an occasion. And the marriage supper of the lamb is going to be a black tie affair. You can't get in just wearing anything. In fact, strictly speaking, you've got to be wearing the white robes of his righteousness. Listen to the description God gives us about this. Let us be glad and rejoice. This is Revelation 19. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they who are called to the marriage of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. What an occasion that will be. The music will be beautiful. The hors d'oeuvres and the ambiance and the cuisine, marvelous. There will be served Chateaubriand, whatever that is, many other things. Look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb because that will be that great evening of rejoicing in which the church, now complete because of the grace of Jesus Christ, is presented as it were proudly by the Lord Jesus himself before the throne of his Father, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope that you won't be embarrassed on that occasion. I hope you won't sense that even though you're wearing the white robes of his righteousness, that somehow you hardly deserve this. We won't really be there because we deserve it, but what a joy it will be to remember we have served him well. It's like the feast that the football or the basketball team puts on after the season is done. And you know something? There's perhaps only one thing worse than losing, and that is to be a failing member of the losing team. To eat with the champions, but know that you don't really belong there because you weren't a good soldier. You didn't hold up your part of the bargain. I hope that each of us renews our ambition to so serve Christ and be what he would want us to be so that in utter gratefulness at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will rejoice in what he has helped us to accomplish, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now what comes after that? Well, what comes after that is going to be some occasion. Remember, we've had the privilege of living for Christ in a very exciting world. We've been translated from this world to the world to come. We have seen the judgment seat of Christ where rewards are apportioned out to us. We have seen the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is there another great event to keep in mind? Ah, the answer is yes. And what is that other great event? Well, the church has been in heaven, right? But the world has continued to go on. And what has happened in the world? Well, the world has matured its rebellion against God. During the days of this dispensation and after that, 
The world has been treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. The world has seen the rise of Antichrist. It has seen the advent of the great tribulation. It has seen utter presumption finally turn into an attitude of total rebellion against God. And finally, the Antichrist is able to muster the armies of the world to fight against God. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. Well, what's God's response? That's Psalm 2. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. It is my opinion, by the way, that that request is possible for us. But it is also my opinion that it will be the most gladly fulfilled on a tremendous occasion that comes at the end of the tribulation, when it looks as if the Antichrist is going to run everything. What happens? What happens is that the heavens divide, and there comes riding forth from heaven the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on a great white horse, and out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword for the judgment of the nations. Actually, John describes it in this very chapter where he talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what he says. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress and fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What is this event? This is the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you fit into that event? Well, notice that John says there are armies that were in heaven that followed him upon white horses. Now, who are these armies that were in heaven? Well, Jude says, behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints. So when Christ comes on that glorious second coming, he will not come alone, will he? He will come with ten thousands of his saints. Now, who is a saint? The answer is, a saint is ha-hagios. A saint is every person who has believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, you are a saint. You are a saint. I am a saint. So, 
Who will be that army that comes with Christ from heaven when he achieves the mastery of this world? The answer is, it is an army of his saints. You will be a part of that conquering army that returns from heaven to overwhelm the Antichrist, to put down the evil of the world, and to institute the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus. The armies that come from heaven, you will be a part of them. In other words, the scripture indicates that you will share in the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be a pacifist, but be sure you don't make a non-aggression pact with the devil, because you will have the chance to bear a sword against him. We will be a part of that glorious returning army. God has put a great big package of destiny in the lives of his saints, has he not? The Bible says the saints shall judge the world. The Bible says the saints shall judge angels. We who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will rule with Christ in that day, and we will be a part of the judgment that comes upon this world. Well, when Jesus returns again in power and great glory, he institutes his millennial reign in the world for a thousand years. We've talked about that. What a time that will be when the world will know peace and prosperity beyond measure. But remember something, salvation is by faith. Even though the world gets to see Christ and he reigns on the throne in Jerusalem, they still do not believe in him unto salvation. So at the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose out of his bottomless pit where he has been kept prisoner. He is allowed to deceive the nations one more time. And the nations rebel against God, and God said, that's it. He sends down fire from heaven to consume them, and he produces a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. No exceptions to the will of God. Now, what does the Bible say about that eternity to come? The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. The scripture says in Ephesians 2 that one of the reasons we are saved is so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The reality that we shall know in eternity is unimaginably wonderful. It is beyond description. And you will be a part of that ruling with Christ, one of the co-regents of the universe forever and forever. You will experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's marvelous beyond description. Our little girl, that is our youngest girl at home, is now 19 years of age. Lynn is, would you believe, almost 30 years of age. Well, um, Noelle uh, and I, and this was the case with Lynn as well, when I was home uh, every night before she would go to sleep, we would talk together and I'd tell her a story. And I am not too bad at inventing stories. One was called The King of Everything. The other was called The Land Where Dolls Come Alive. There was also The Enchanted Garden and all of those good things. Well, I remember we were talking about heaven one time and Noelle asked me a question. She said, Daddy, when we get to heaven, will there be swings in heaven? And I thought for about 10 seconds and I said, yes, honey, there'll be swings in heaven, whatever it takes to make you happy, you know? 
Well, she was satisfied with that answer, but you know, it was a few years later when we were talking about heaven. She might have been seven by this time, and we were riding in a car at that time, and she piped up with the question and said, Daddy, when I get to heaven, will I get to wear my long white dress when I get to heaven? And I thought for just a minute, and I said, yes, honey, you'll get to wear your long white dress. And then she asked the clincher, Daddy, my long white dress, will it button down the front or will it button down the back? <laughs> I thought quickly about that when I said, honey, I think it's going to button down the back. She said, good, that's the way I wanted it. But I thought about that little conversation, and I thought, here, the, the, the mind of an emergent child, simple concepts about heaven, but believing in and looking forward to that blessed and marvelous land with a trusting faith of a child. I hope that's your bright anticipation. We used to gather around the piano when I was a small boy, and mother would play and we would sing with her, there is a happy land far, far away, where saints in glory stand bright bright as day. Oh, we shall happy be when from sin and sorrow free. Lord, we shall live with thee. Praise, praise for a, and I tell you, it's something to think of those days, singing around the piano with mother who has gone to heaven from since that day. What a moment even to remember. Well, I hope that's your bright anticipation today. Oh, Christian, please believe me when I tell you that to know Christ as your Savior is not merely the emotion of a moment. It just isn't saying yes at this point of time to him and then going your way. But to be a Christian is to become a child of God. To be a Christian is to receive God's gift of life eternal. To become a Christian is to move from a horrible fate to a bright destiny. To become a Christian is to be an heir to the reality of eternity, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You cannot imagine all that God has for us, but one day it will be a part of our total experience and our present reality. Now look, in the light of that day, wouldn't this be a good day to live for Christ as never before? In the light of the great things God is giving us now and will fulfill in majestic fashion in eternity, wouldn't these days be great days in which to serve him? Don't be discouraged. Don't say the world is too much with me. The future, said Adoniram Judson, is as bright as the promises of God. Oh, by the way, you know one other thing Adoniram Judson said? One of the most beautiful things I've ever read. Listen to this. In spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain. We reap on Zion's hill. And that's what it will be like when we get to heaven. I hope you know Christ this morning. I hope your life is committed to be the person Christ would have you to be. I hope that you're saying, Lord, this quickly passing existence, help it to be lived to accomplish heaven's purposes with eternity's values in view. Lord, with eternity's values in view, help me do each day's work for Jesus with 
eternity's values in view. That's the way to live. Let's make that the way we live for Christ today. Let us pray that God shall make this real to each one of our hearts. Oh, dear friends, may I say that I am most sincere when I insist that these things are real. These are not pipe dreams. This is not Buck Rogers' fantasy. This is reality. It is the future that we are moving into at the speed of light. May God help us to be sure that it's true and then choose newly and in a better fashion than ever to invest our lives for Christ. You have heard Dr. Dave Brees complete his message, The Christian's Fabulous Future. You may secure more Bible-centered messages on audio and video cassettes by Dr. Brees and other leading evangelical Bible scholars. Request the latest cassette tape catalog when you write to World Prophetic Ministry, Colton, California, 92324-0496.